Hi, this is Heather Bonham, and you are listening to the Midlife Best Podcast, and this is episode 080. Now, this week on episode 80, we are returning to the book club, and this is a replay of the third week of the Midlife Best Book Club, which happens live on the Facebook page on Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. So this is the third week, and the original video is hosted on that Facebook page, and it's also available on the YouTube channel. So this is the audio from the third week of the book club. Now, this book club will be wrapping up at the end of the fourth session, which will be October 13th. I might do an additional Q&A or a wrap-up. I haven't decided yet. We'll see where that goes. But I would like to continue doing book clubs in the future. I don't know whether that's going to be on Facebook Live, Sorry for my voice today. It's going out. Um, But I don't know whether that's going to be on Facebook Live or whether I'll pre-record some of those. But I have loved the process. So I would love your feedback about what books you would like to see come to the book club. And you can email me, heather at midlifebest.com. Now, probably in the future, um, I will be recording additional episodes of the podcast that have nothing to do with the book club because I'm working on a couple of other projects that I want to bring to you uh, bits and pieces of the book that I'm working on and just some other things in general about midlife success and chasing your dreams. So that will also be coming and continuing on the podcast, but definitely I would like to do book clubs in some way, shape, or form in the future. So let me know your feedback. I'm going to stop talking now. Thankfully, the voice and the audio on this recording is a lot better. But you will also see about nine minutes in, there is a blooper. My power went out in my basement. Um, Thankfully, it was just the, the breaker got flipped. So I had to stop recording and then jump back in. But it'll be pretty seamless for you listening to this because I'll just stick both of those Facebook Live replays right together. Oh, so sorry for my voice. I'm going to go drink hot tea. Have a great week, and I will talk to you again soon. Here's the replay of the book club. Well, hi, it's Heather Bonham with Midlife Best, and I am so glad that you joined me today for week three of the Midlife Best book club. And this week, we are still on The Big Leap, by Gay Hendricks, and we're doing um, chapters four and five. So in a second, we'll go ahead and get started. Say hi if you're on live. Um, This will be recorded, and it will be on the Midlife Best Facebook page. It will be on the Midlife Best YouTube channel and on my podcast, which is available on a lot of different platforms, the Midlife Best podcast. Um, I will take the audio from this and turn it into a podcast episode. So that's also been working for people who need to listen on their commute or while they're exercising or just on the go. So I like to have a lot of different options for formats. So um, these two chapters are really kind of the meat and potatoes of this book. And everything up to this point has been introductory. It's been theoretical. And it's talked about our past, our history, and how we get some of the limiting beliefs that we get in life. And um, so some of those things might be affecting our career, affecting our relationship. But 
Gay Hendricks says that what we really have to do is we have to take this leap, this big leap. And what that leap is, is moving into our zone of genius. And he believes that we all have a zone of genius. And so on previous episodes, we talked about the the zones that he believes we can operate in. And we have zones that we should never be doing anything in. We have zones of incompetence. And then we have zones of competence and even of excellence. And excellence is where a lot of us get stuck. Professionally, what happens is, and I think this is so relevant to people in midlife, we get to a place in career, in education, that we, we've gone pretty high. And for a lot of us, that might be college and graduate work, or it might be um, professionally, we've climbed a ladder of some sorts. So if you started right out of high school or even in high school working for um, an organization, let's say you started working for a company, um, maybe a restaurant that has a chain, okay? And you started entry level, bottom of the barrel. And over time, you work your way up, right? And that's what everybody wants. So you work your way up and maybe you become an assistant manager, you become a manager, and eventually you might become higher than that, regional, um, district, or however your organization is set up. Unfortunately, although that is successful, some people find themselves leaving what they loved about that job and they get stuck in the zone of excellence or they never really found the thing that they loved but they went far enough that sometimes they liked what they were doing a lot they got paid well they settled in they got you know benefits and a routine and some recognition and people complimented them and that's where they stayed and it's very true in so many fields and careers that we could have but especially I believe midlife is when this really comes out and when we see it um, I have I've observed I, you know I'm always observing and I'm always talking to people in different jobs I've had and I've seen it so many times people who liked what they did or even loved it at one point but one of two things happened their job plateaued and they got to a point that there was nothing else for them. There was nothing else that they really wanted to reach for um, and they got bored and just kind of unhappy and just sat there. Or they continued to try to reach but what happened is their job became more and more of management stuff that they didn't actually like. And even from my own experience, um, I was originally, when I was in college, I was working in group homes for people with special needs. And a lot of that I loved. But when I moved into case management, I found out that that job, and over time it got worse, but that job became more and more paperwork and less and less people. And the people was the fun part. And the paperwork became overwhelming. And you hear this from teachers, 
and case managers slash social workers, I mean, anyone in the helping profession. Um, I've also heard this happens a lot with people in healthcare because, and Gay Hendricks even talks about that in his book, because a lot of people in healthcare got into that career for a certain calling and a certain passion and a certain love of what they did. And then as they became more successful, they just ended up dealing with things that were not suited to them, things that they didn't like and that took away the love and enjoyment from what they did. So um, this is relevant to a lot of us. And that's the, why I say it's the meat and the potatoes because what he's doing now is helping you figure out the zone of genius and how you can spend more time there. Now the question is, can you spend all of your time there? And I think he would say that he spends most of his time there. I think that that's the way he puts it. Um, I would say that's hard to do in most jobs. You know, Gay Hendricks as an author and as a therapist has spent a lot of time working for himself. Now I know he did work for a university um, at, at a time. I just don't think he does that now. So yeah, he does have a lot of say over his time and over his duties and can delegate or hire things done. So chapter four is called building a new home in your zone of genius. And I had five questions for this chapter. Um, this will be uploaded under the menu section of the Facebook live. And so that you can find that and, uh, and follow along and reflect this week on these questions and then do the reading for the next week. So the question that I asked first is, um, in this chapter, we get to, I'm going to fix the, sorry, fix my little microphone here. It's easier to have them draped around your neck than have the earbuds in. So I have them draped around my neck, which is something I saw from a teacher, Laura Randazzo, who has a lot of YouTube videos and she would shoot these videos in her car. And her videos are great, by the way, if you're a teacher, but she would shoot the videos in her car and she would just have the microphone draped around her neck. And so I picked that up from her and it works really well. So question one in this chapter, we get to the heart of finding zones, uh, the zone of genius. This is the leap. When and where have you experienced glimpses of your genius? If you want to leave comments, please leave them below during the live or even just leave them below later on. Um, like I said, this will be saved on the Facebook page. It'll also be on the YouTube channel. So I would love to see those comments about when and where you've experienced your zone of genius. And um, I think that's a really personal question. So you, you may not feel comfortable leaving that, but I know that we've all been there and that we've all experienced those glimpses of times when we thought, this is it, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Or um, he talks about in here that it's a, it's a moment or it's a, a time when everything kind of stands still and you, and you feel like no time has elapsed where you're just kind of in this, oh, oh my goodness, my power just went out. Let me see if I can get some light here. Oh no, our power just went out. So let me see if I can get that back on and I will try to be back in a few minutes. 
Well, hi, I'm back. <laughs> My power, the breaker, got flipped, and nobody seems to know why. So we didn't have any power for a minute down in this part of my house. My I'm downstairs in my basement. So it was dark and now I'm back. And you know what? I could have deleted that video, but I just went ahead and saved it and posted it to the Facebook page because that is life. So I'm sitting back down here and oh, fixing my headphones. So there we are. That's life. Sometimes the power goes out and you can't control it. And you know, that's like the nerve wracking part, but also I guess the good part about Facebook live is that, um, you just do it and it's out there and you can't be a perfectionist about it and try to go back and fix it. It's just there. That's the way it is. And I don't edit these videos. I don't know how to do that kind of editing for one thing, but I could absolutely have somebody else do it for me. It's just not that important to me. I think it's important to just be authentic at this point in what I'm doing in this project. So if I were doing Midlife Best um, five years down the road and you know maybe I would have an editing team and a video team and all of that, but right now it's me. It's me filming on my phone in my basement and there's a cinder block wall behind me so I have a piece of fabric up behind me. I want to tell, this is completely off topic, but this, I want to tell you about this bench that I'm sitting on. So this bench is an old, old church bench that came out of the church that I grew up in, in Kansas. And when they remodeled, as part of the fundraising stuff to get money for the new sanctuary, they sold the old benches. Well, the old benches were very long, and so um, they had them cut down to kind of a manageable size and people bought them and my parents bought one and they gave it to me and I've had it for many years and this is one of my favorite pieces of furniture and so it sits in my basement where we come in the house we generally come in from the driveway and our basement is has a walk-in to under the house and so every day when I come in my church bench is here and a lot of times it's just for you know we put bags and sports equipment and all the things for my kids and you know we have stuff sitting on this bench a lot but right now it just has a couple of cushions and and I love it and this is the perfect place for me to do this book club and so back to the book club so we were talking about the zone of genius and the second question is in what ways do you believe genius is related to serving others and I asked that question because I think that he is pretty clear in this book that genius is something that whatever your genius is, it's something you do for yourself, but it's also something you do for others. And again, he is not, this is not a religious book, but I would argue in my opinion that genius is something that God has given you and then it's something you do for God also. And so I would think that yes, it is. It is what you do for others because it's the gifts that you have and the gifts that you have are the only gifts that you can give. Um, Dan Miller does a wonderful demonstration about giving from a full cup and I think that plays in here nicely because um, if, you, if you're not full with whatever resources you need and, um, and sorry and certainly if you're 
not feeling that you're full of whatever talents and gifts that you have, you know, how can you give? Where would you give from? So number two, just to think about is, again, what, in what ways do you believe genius is related to serving others? Number three are the outward signs that we call successful in our society related to living in one's zone of genius. I'm going to just park on that for a minute. Um, the outward signs, I think, in our society are different probably from what they were 50 years ago or 100 years ago, but we still put and always have put a lot of um, emphasis on wealth, on homes and cars and clothing, and that's always been the case. I really believe that's always been the case. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, it was still land, property, how many, how much livestock you had, um, how many uh, servants there were in a household or again, the clothing, um, the jewelry, the gold. So those things have always been what people look to and call successful and also the things that people want. And, um, and yet, if we're saying that these outward signs somehow reflect something inside, that's the question that I'm asking. So you can be financially successful and I, I think that it's pretty clear to all of us and he definitely says in this book um, that the outward success does not always reflect that someone's living in their zone of genius because someone can be very excellent living in that third zone, zone of excellence, and be really good at what they do, but they're not in their zone of genius, they're not happy, and these are people who might be successful in one area of life, but not successful in a lot of areas and especially things that also matter um, and most of us would argue matter more, such as our family relationships, our spirituality, our health, and all of those things that maybe we can't see necessarily from the outside, um, but those are the things that would make it worthy or worthwhile to even have the other outward signs of success, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, like they say, what's the point of having money if you don't have your health or if you don't have somebody to spend that money on? Um, and he talks about that in here when he talks about building, building a home in the zone of genius. Um, he talks about on page 115, and I like this, that he had gotten comfortably numb so comfortably numb, in fact, that the ULP, the upper limit problem, had sneaked up and gotten me. Without realizing it, I'd worn such a comfortable rut in my zone of excellence that I had overlooked the beckoning calls of my zone of genius. And he says that he got the message in time, that he realized, you know, that that wasn't working. And, uh, and, I, and so that's, I guess it's a pretty loaded question, the third question. But um, those outward signs are things, I don't think it's wrong to want those things. I want those things. But I think that we have to realize that they're not necessarily a sign that someone is living in their zone of genius. And I also think that often the outward signs of success are the things that we tend to envy. 
when we see somebody else with the nice house or the nice car or whatever that is, those are the things we tend to look at and say, oh, I want what that person has. But really, um, we have no idea what that person truly has and if that person is doing what really matters to them. And, um, and so that's, that's part of maturity. That's part of being honest about what we want and why we want it. And is it worthy um, to pursue those things? Or is it also possible that those things are a byproduct of, uh, you know, of working in a certain space? Because if they're just a byproduct of working in the zone of excellence, then that shouldn't matter as much as working in the zone of genius. So um, it's something to think about. I think we all want those trappings of success, and I don't think that's bad. But we also know that people can be really unhappy and have those things. Um, so number four, how do you respond to the big question on page 118? And the big question um, is if outside influences, and then here he's talking about he went to a convention, he went to a reunion, and, and all of the people there, most of the people there were complaining even though they seem to be successful. So he asked this question is basically if the outside influences um, were not a problem, what would you really love to be doing? And so I think we can just put a blank there. If blank, whatever you think is holding you back, if blank were not a problem, what would you really love to be doing? And that's a key question. You need to think about that a lot and see what that answer is for you. If blank were not a problem, if money were not a problem, if time were not a problem, if your boss were not a problem, if, you know, for me for a while it was the commute. I was blaming the commute. Well, if the commute were not such a problem, and there was some truth to that, and I got rid of the commute because I knew it wasn't good for me to commute three hours plus, you know, in a round trip in a day. Um, but that question I think it could come up over and over again in life. So if blank were not a problem, what would you really love to be doing? And I also think, and I'm trying to think how to put this into words, um, that sometimes what what you say you would really love to be doing isn't the full answer. It's not the complete answer. You need a little more investigation into that. So if you said, well, what I would really love to be doing is playing professional basketball and, you know, you're my age and my height, that's not going to happen. But at least asking that question, and by the way, that is not my dream, but at least asking that question maybe can open your thought process to more. So it's at least a valuable question to get you thinking and to get you being honest about what you think the obstacles are whatever it's, you know, in that blank, if blank were not a problem, whatever you think those obstacles are, but then also what is it you really want? And that's what you're trying to get to is what you really want. So how do you respond to that big question? Number five for chapter four is what experience have you had with the dilemma on page 119? Um, And the dilemma essentially is wanting to keep the dream or the fantasy as a dream or fantasy because of fear. 
And specifically, it's fear of failure, but it's really fear that you don't have any genius and that you're not good enough at whatever you love and think you want to do. And so he says um, this huge fear is really that, and I, I put that you want to stay in love with your dream, that you love your dream, but you're afraid that if you let go of it as a dream, that the reality won't happen or it won't measure up. So um, what he says is you have this huge fear of failing and that if you opened it up, um, you would find that your genius isn't good enough. And so um, he calls that like a genie in the bottle. And I think that's a really good image. So we have to work through that. If we are going to find our zone of genius, it only makes sense we're going to act on our zone of genius. What is the point of finding your zone of genius and doing nothing about it? That doesn't make sense. But this is where people might stop their process in, you know, in going through this book. They might just say, well, um, okay, now I know what it is. Now I'm scared. Now I'm going to stop. And he says that's really, um, that's really a huge fear and a huge dilemma for people. So his solution to that is just, let me fix my microphone again. It's sliding down. Um, is that you just have to be aware. Just be aware and notice and acknowledge all the time. Yeah, I'm afraid of finding out my genius isn't good enough. Finding out that whatever it is I want to create or do isn't going to be good enough. I'm not good enough. People aren't going to like it. You know, whatever those fears are, just acknowledge them and go, yep, I'm afraid of that, but not to let it stop you. And I, you know, that's advice you would give if you think about it. I mean, as a parent, that's certainly advice that I would give one of my kids. Yeah, be scared, but go for your dreams. Um, and by midlife, I don't know where along the way a lot of us got stuck, but I know that a lot of us get stuck. So wherever that happens, maybe it's different for different people, but wherever and however that happened, um, you have to just acknowledge it and say, okay, it's there. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. So the other thing that I had for this chapter is the genius questions. And those are on pages 122, 125, 126, and 131. And I am not going through those and I'll tell you why. They are very powerful questions. And what they lead to he puts it in the words of his 12-year-old granddaughter or 12 years old at the time of this writing that you're finding your superpower. And I've heard that said. I've, I've heard that on different people's business websites or podcasts or whatever. Um, and they say, what's your superpower? Well, this is the earliest reference, I have heard this. This is, again, from 2009. So I wonder if people are saying that now, but it stems from Gay Hendricks saying that's how his granddaughter explained it. You're looking for your superpower. What's your superpower? Um, these genius questions then on those pages that I listed, they refer to how you flesh that out and how you kind of pull it out. And um, so these are the questions that I think require you to go back to the book and do some journaling 
or some audio journaling. If you don't want to write, you can certainly do it into the recording part of your phone. I like Rev Recorder, but the phone, my Apple phone already has a notes voice recorder thing. So I would suggest that you dig through this a little bit and, um, and go through these questions about what you love and what you're good at. And when you really feel like you're not working, um, when you feel like he talks about abundance and satisfaction related to the amount of time that you've spent, because all of our time is finite and we know that we have a certain amount of time. And when we're spending our time really well, we feel better. And that's, I mean, that's just true. Um, and he talks about being unique, something that is unique to you. And then he tells the cute little story about the, the granddaughters being over and the girls having a friend and, you know, swimming and they're talking about this. Um, and he also talks in here and, and I really like this. He also talks in here about, um, articulating your unique ability. So, really knowing that it's there and being able to say it and acknowledge it and not deny it and not um, just kind of push it back, which I think a lot of people have maybe done for years and years. And maybe the more we push back our superpower and our genius, um, which again, I believe is God given. So the more we push that back, that's something that needed to be allowed through for so long and it wasn't that you know I wonder what happens to us over over time and how hard then is it to free that and to start acknowledging it and accepting it and saying yeah this is this is part of me this is what I can do and this is who I am and it's not arrogant and it's it's not bad and it's not um, bragging and it's not putting other people down he tells a story in here about a woman who was a writer and her other siblings were not that supportive or some of them were not that supportive and she didn't want to outshine them. And he said, go ahead, maybe it'll inspire them. And instead of worrying that they're not going to like you, he said, they're, if they're going to be jealous of you, they're going to find something to be jealous of. They'll be jealous of your car. They'll be jealous of something else. Um, so don't worry about it. You know, just go and do your thing. And I think that's that's good advice. So then there are questions on page 140 and 141, again, journaling kinds of questions. So I don't want to go through it because I want you to do that work. And there's nothing I can say about that section of the book that's more powerful or more effective than how Gay Hendricks says it. Plain and simple. And then we move on to the next chapter, which is chapter five. And I only have a few questions for chapter five. Um, but chapter five, again, is called living in your zone of genius. So chapter four was building a new home in your zone of genius. And now you're living in your zone of genius. Now you've made that big leap. So now the book has fully transitioned into, you know who you are. You know what you're good at. You know what your genius is, your superpower. And then how do you live that out? Now he talks about having a success mantra. And I will admit that some of the mantra stuff is a little woo-woo for me. Although, um, I, I do believe in affirmations. I like them. I like affirmations that are Bible-based. I like affirmations that not necessarily are Bible verses, but that are positive things that, that I believe line up 
with good living and with success and wellness. And so I don't have a problem with affirmations, but I think we also can take things so far that it becomes this weird magical thing that I just don't believe in for me. But I will say this. One thing that I really like about Gay Hendricks and one thing that um, that for me makes it just a positive experience to go through his material is that he's very respectful of all belief systems and he never bashes any belief system. He does not put down anyone's religion and in fact, he's very open. He talks about in here you know, he's done meditation that follow different kinds or he's read about and studied meditation that follow different kinds of belief systems. And he says he's received instruction in many different forms of meditation, um, including Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and Buddhist. And so I, what I like is that he's not putting down anyone's belief systems. And so truly, this is an instance where you take what you want, what works for you, what resonates with you, and you leave the rest behind. And so with that said, he gives a mantra that he thinks is very helpful in bringing your mind back to living in your zone of genius instead of all the other noise that's not as productive. And I think there's definitely some truth in that. Um, Ignoring all the noise and all of the negativity that's in your own mind as well as the outside world and bringing yourself back to what you want to be focused on and focusing on the things that you choose because you have to control your thoughts. You have to control your mind. If you don't do that, all these outside noises will just bother you and bring you down. And so, um, so he talks about that. He has the ultimate success mantra and he talks about meditation and what, again, what he believes and what works for him. Now, after that, we, um, so I, so question six again was just asking, how do you feel about that? What mantra would you use? Or if you don't are are into that, what would you do instead? So for example, um, would you choose a Bible verse that you, that you really want to come back to every time you have some negativity, um, or a prayer, you know, that you would want to come back to or a hymn, just like the lyrics maybe of a hymn or something like that. So uh, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think there's a clear cut, you know, yes, no on that. You just have to think it through for yourself and know what's right in your heart and with your relationship with your creator. So with that said, question seven is when have you used or seen someone use the enlightened no and how will you use this in your life moving forward? I love, love this part of the book. I love the enlightened no. I love it so much. And let me tell you, the enlightened no, literally, this is a few pages. It starts on page 151 and it's done on 154. So this is three pages. I'm telling you, if you read nothing else in this book, the enlightened no, those three pages, Worth the price of admission. Thank you, Gay Hendricks. That stuff is genius. Seriously. He was in his zone of genius when he was talking about the enlightened no. Because I want you to park on this as much as you need to, as often as you need to, because I will be revisiting it. Um, I, you know, I have gotten so much better about saying no at work things 
at um, just just life things that I could go to or attend or sign up for. And sometimes I overextend myself and I can get a lot done and I like to be busy, but there is a point where you have to say no. And he explains that in here and he explains that um, and he gives a point where he turned down $50,000 to endorse a product that he thought was a good product. He thought it was good and he still turned it down. And when he turned it down, the company was just amazed and they wanted more information. And he said, well, that's what I'm writing in this book. And then you can hire me to consult for you. But um, what that enlightened no really is, is he said, <clears throat> sorry, I need a drink of tea. Mm. A lot of talking. Sorry about that. So he, he says um, that the enlightened no is when you turn down something I'm on page 151, when you turn down something that does not fit into your zone of genius, he says um, that you are saying no in the service of your genius. That is good. That is powerful. You are saying no in the service of your genius. So he talks I mean, and then he just fleshes this out and really talks about um, how he's done that in his life and like I said, turned down $50,000. Uh, but this is one of, for me, one of the most powerful parts of this book because if you cannot say no in the service of your genius, then you're not giving your genius the respect that it needs and the time that it will need. So if you're an artist, if you're a writer, if you're a painter, you know, I remember, um, Rita Davenport had a wonderful, it, I had it on cassette tape. It was wonderful. I think it was called, um, I've listened to several of her materials, but I think it was the one called making time, making money in network marketing. And I'm sure you can find the old tapes on eBay or somewhere, but Rita Davenport talked about her friend, Irma Bombeck who has passed away since, but Irma Bombeck was a comedy writer. She was hysterical. She wrote newspaper columns. She passed away much too young from cancer. But um, she, Rita Davenport had, I believe it was a TV show at that time in Arizona, I think, Phoenix. And she needed a last-minute guest. And she called her friend, Irma Bombeck, friend of hers, and she said, I need a guest. I, I really need somebody. Can you please, can you come and be on my show today? Somebody called out and said they couldn't come or whatever. And Irma Bombeck, and now comedy was her genius, writing comedy, you know, humor, humorous writing was her genius. And she said, no, I can't do that because I'm in the middle of writing and I have a book coming out and I have to write today. And she said, no, and this was a good friend. And that is exactly what this enlightened no is all about and I listened to those cassette tapes years ago and um, and it just that came to mind just now when I was coming back to this section in the book so the enlightened no you have to be able to say no but it's not because you don't care about people or because you know you're just selfish or because you quote I gave at the office like I don't I don't want to give to your cause anymore it's not that what it is is saying my genius requires time and attention and energy and focus and all of that. And if I have to give that, whatever that is, 
that genius, if I have to give it a lot of myself, then sometimes I'm going to have to say no to these other things over, you know, over here. I'm going to give here and not give here because there is, again, there is only so much time and so much energy and you have to give the genius what it needs. So that to me is absolutely vital reading. You have to go back over that part and focus on that part. And then the last shortcut he talks about is renewing and confining commitment. And that's the last thing on the study guide. And like I said, that'll be up there shortly um, under menu on the Facebook page. But it says, as with anything long-term and valuable to our lives, we are asked to renew and refine our commitment. And that's certainly true, you guys, with relationships, with parenting, um, I mean, really with anything that matters. So the next part of that question says, how can you best prepare to do this so you can spend more time in your zone of genius? So how can you renew and refine your commitment to living in your zone of genius? So now you've said no, and then the next step is to renew and refine that commitment and, and constantly be working that out. Um, and again, that it reminds me of so many things that are so biblical. And this book is not at all biblically, biblically based. This is not at all religious, you know, but because that's what I have in the back of my mind when I'm reading this, I just see so many connections. Um, so how would you refine and recommit constantly to that zone of genius? Is that something that you feel like you would need to do every day? I mean, I think so at the beginning, but how would you do that? And how would you spend time making sure that you're reflecting on your work in your zone of genius? You know, for some people, maybe that would be keeping kind of a time log or just looking back over their calendar um, or their to-do list or just seeing like, how are they spending their time? Um, I said on a previous podcast episode that I really think that if we look at our time and we look at our money, that shows us our values because how we spend those things, those are our very precious resources. And so how we spend those things, those really tell us what our values are and, and what matters to us. And it's interesting because um, he talks in here, there was a woman, this, the woman who wanted to write and, um, and he said, oh, well, so your priority is your family and then housework. And she said, oh, no, writing is way more important than housework. And he said, well, it's not based on the time and attention that you give it. So, um, yeah, that commitment and then recommitting and refining and looking at our lives and saying, are we doing it right? Are we getting closer? Like, you know, the game when you when you were little and you used to somebody would hide something and They'd say, you're getting warmer, you're getting, well, now you're getting colder. Oh, now you're getting warmer. Oh, you're burning up. And that you, you find whatever was hidden. You know, I think it's kind of like that. So next week will be October 13th, and we're going to finish the book. And so it's a lot, but we can do it. It's going to be chapter six, Living in Einstein Time. That's super interesting, by the way. I remember that chapter from way back when I first listened to the audiobook, and it, it definitely made an impact on me, so you're going to like that. Living in Einstein Time, and then chapter seven, Solving the Relationship Problem, and then the conclusion. 
I just want to ask for anybody that's watching this or listening to this, please give me your questions, anything that you would like me to do for a wrap up. Um, if you do want another wrap up, you know, after we finish the conclusion, we could do one more like that or maybe even questions and answers. Um, I would love your feedback. You can always email me. It's heather at midlifebest.com or just comment on that Midlife Best Facebook page or on the Midlife Best YouTube channel. No matter how you get the content, I'd love to hear from you. And I thank you for joining me. This has been so much fun and I've loved preparing um, this week and th this whole process. It's been a lot of fun. So I've really enjoyed the book club. And thank you for spending your very precious time with me. And I'll talk to you again soon.